0: Hey guys, it's Christy here today, Charles is traveling, and I wanted to share with you something new we're doing on Transition Talk. We're calling it What Happens Next. And I think it's an important thing to talk about and something that I actually, it's the best part I think we do, which is learn what happens after we help someone buy a practice and now they're an owner. We focus obviously on this podcast a ton of finding the opportunity and diligently in the opportunity and how to become an owner. And of course, those are the most important steps, but I think what happens once we are no longer your day-to-day dial-a-friend what happens when you're kind of dropped in the practice and now you're the owner and all the decisions are yours. And so our first one of these is a conversation I had with Dr. Derek Williams, and we helped him buy a practice here in Texas two to three years ago. I mean, he has just done a phenomenal job with that practice since he purchased it. Collections, I think, are triple what they were when he purchased it. He's working less time. His overhead is down. His processes are in line. Um, He's operating the practice he wants. He has learned so much, um, and he has enjoyed the process so much, he's actually joined forces with one of his colleagues and started the Lifestyle Practice, which is a consulting firm that helps young people or new owners like you who need that hand to kind of help develop the practice they want. And so I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Derek Williams and this first installment of what happens next. Hey Derek, how are you doing this morning? Doing great.
1: Christy, thanks for having me.
0: Of course, yeah. So um, I thought maybe today we could just talk. A little bit about your practice. How long have you now been an owner?
1: Been about two and a half years.
0: Awesome. I actually can't believe it's been that long. So the goal, at kind of what I thought might be helpful to some of the listeners we have, is just to kind of talk about your experience, both kind of in the transition process, and then kind of Really, what we're really interested in is kind of after the fact. Kind of what was your experience maybe in that first year, now kind of looking back in hindsight at the two year mark? And so I have some kind of more questions, but I'm hoping we can kind of just see where this conversation goes. And so, first thing I wanted to ask you is what do you think has been the biggest surprise from a transition standpoint? I know we most people have kind of an idea of what it might look like in their head, but what's been your experience as far as biggest thing you didn't expect.
1: Um I don't know that I could pick specifically one thing, but the biggest surprise to me was how challenging it was to manage so many different hats. You know, you're managing staff and you kind of have this relationship and you're managing them and expectations that they have and as a boss, you're managing all the patients and all the clinical work, everything, all the cases going on. And then you also are running a business, yep. you're making all the the day-to-day decisions. I purchased my practice right out of school, and so it was very overwhelming for me in the beginning. It felt like we made a lot of progress very quickly, but it also was a very stressful time for me those, those first two or three months.
0: Yeah. And I think something that I know I learn and continue to learn, and I'm sure you are the same, but we as humans are not really predictable people. (laughs) And so learning how different people's emotions and just how different people tick and what drives them, I know that at least for us, challenging. So I can imagine you as well, kind of stepping into kind of the boss or the leader of your office type shoes and kind of having to guide everyone in addition to doing all the dentistry and, and taking charge there, I'm, I can imagine that was challenging.
1: Yeah, completely.
0: So talk to me. I know you've made some improvements to the practice since you've purchased it. So what kind of technology have you added? Have you added anything that you were kind of like, eh, I really didn't need that? Talk to me about kind of just that technology improvement process for you.
1: Yeah. So I tried not to change anything for about the first six months. I wanted
0: smart. to like,
1: uh, smart fast- Staff settle in and focus on the things, making changes that would be easy for staff to implement but also bring the greatest return and increase in production and collections. Mm-hmm. So it was about um, eight months in to ownership that we got TVs, computers, digital x-rays, and then about another eight months later that we purchased a comb beam. Those are kind of the main ones. I haven't done really much more as far as uh, technology and practice. What
0: was your kind of process as far as figuring out, is this cost-benefit, is this worth it? How'd you go about doing that? Obviously, some of those are no-brainers, right? But what was kind of your process as far as some of the others and maybe some of the smaller ones of, is this worth it or is this maybe something I shouldn't invest in right now?
1: Yeah, so most of the decisions in the beginning were to not invest in technology, but to increase the efficiency of our scheduling. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. or to focus on how we're presenting treatment to patients to so try and make things more productive to let patients know that it's okay to get multiple things done in one appointment, training assistants on the best way to have the room and everything set up so that it requires the least amount of time from me. So the first two or three months, we almost doubled what they had been doing previously. And so that was with no new technology added. Later on, I felt like sensors, having sensors was a big thing, and TVs, because then I would be able to present treatment. It would significantly cut down on the time that we spent developing x-rays. So that's kind of the mindset behind how I approached that.
0: Yeah, and and that's important. I think that's a main concern with a lot of our buyers who are buying older practices that need a lot of that technology upgrades, and, and they want that, right? And so I think you're really smart to kind of hold off Fix some of the things that you can fix without money and investment, and then kind of slowly roll out those changes. And I bet your staff was more prepared for those changes versus day one, you know, everything changes. So I think that was super smart. Shifting back kind of a little bit more soft skills, another concern a lot of buyers have for us, and a lot of candidates we talk to when we do these coaching calls is. I'm worried about staff and patient retention and their reaction. Let's talk about staff and patients and their reaction and and retention um, and loss of patients. I mean, that's a big concern. Tell me a little bit about your experience in those two areas.
1: Yeah, uh, I think this is always a big concern with buyers and the transition process. In my experience, we had some attrition, but very little, but we've also grown a lot. In my opinion almost all of the patients that are in the practice are are at least going to come and give the new dentist a chance. They're probably gonna ask the staff about them on the phone, you know, before they come in. But they're almost all of them are gonna come in and give them a chance. So I felt like if, if I was willing to just try and be kind and and friendly, I wanted to also be completely honest with them. I found that this practice there had been a lot of dentistry that had not been diagnosed and presented To the patients, which can be a difficult position to put yourself in, because a lot of consultants will traditionally say get in the practice and and develop a relationship with these patients for a year or two before you start to really present treatment that they need. And I understand this rationale, but I also completely disagree with it. I feel like that's dishonest. If Mm -hmm. if a patient needs work, then you should be able to tell them that they need work, and and the way that you bring it across and the way that you communicate that is much more important as far as how they receive it and and also in building that relationship at the same time. So yeah, that that's one sense. of the biggest things that I attribute my almost immediate, very quick growth in the practice. You
0: mentioned consultants, and obviously that's when someone's buying a practice and there are opportunities for improvement. That's kind of one of the first things a lot of buyers or new, new owners kind of think to do. Talk to me a little bit about the consultant's that maybe you utilized. And then I want to get into something that I think is a little unique to you, but I think kind of a really important piece to talk to with our listeners today.
1: Yeah. So first of all, honestly, I think out of your entire career as a dentist, the very best time that you could hire a coach or a consultant would be during that first year in ownership. At that point, you are establishing a foundation for what the rest of your time in that, that practice is going to be like, so it 's much easier to grow and to make some solid foundational changes in the beginning rather than have to go back later and fix them and i I recognized this, and I knew that I wanted to have a consultant or a coach and so um, I hired a consultant that was recommended to me by the broker, and i, I don 't have horrible things to say about her but she she was kind of more traditional consultant. She wasn't a dentist but a little bit more touchy feely, kind of uh she came into the practice which was great and she kind of helped set everybody's minds at ease that we were going to make it through. But she had this binder that she came and set down. She had all of her kind of these are the protocols that I establish in all my practices. <laughs> it felt very cookie cutter. Yeah. And it also felt like uh in the beginning it was nice because I felt like she was kind of taking control and leading the way. But I didn't want that. I wanted someone that was really going to train me to make decisions and to be the leader that my practice needed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You kind of want, at first, it was probably like, oh, this is nice. Like, as you said, a little overwhelmed. But then once you probably got your footing, you're like, whoa, wait, wait. (laughs) I need to be the person that they are looking to. And I think with those types of consultants, you're right, they can add some value Um, but you kind of want someone to be able to come in and give you a method and teach you, and that way you're not dependent upon them long-term, which I can hear. So we have been hearing, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you today, we've been hearing amazing things about you and your partner, Justin, another colleague of yours who you guys started something called the lifestyle practice or Justin started that and and you joined. Tell me about that. It's one of the reasons I think your practice is done as well as it's done. So walk me through that.
1: Yeah. So after uh, continuing on with that story a little bit, um, after I'd had that first consultant for the first month, I was feeling very unsettled about it and I knew it wasn't the direction I wanted to go. I wanted to hire someone that had been where I had been and could be kind of a mentor figure For me that had been through the process and could guide me and, like I said, help me be the leader that my uh, practice needed. So anyway, I looked at several. I found Justin Short called the Lifestyle Practice. It was just him at the time. So I talked with him quite a bit and hired him, so I worked with him for a year and significantly grew the practice. Uh, He helped me. Uh, it It was a really awesome experience because it did exactly what I was talking about, that he helped me to make the decisions. He, he had very valuable feedback and guidance, but ultimately I was the one making the calls and, the, and making the shots as far as the practice goes. So after I'd worked with him for a year, he offered me a partnership. He, he asked if I wanted to partner with him. And so January of 2018, so a year ago I bought in and so now it's just he and I, but now we continue to work with clients and uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a really cool process.
0: You have seen some, and, and this is something that I'm hoping to talk with kind of all of my old buyers with as I, as I do these conversations over the next year. Your practice, when you talk about before and afters, is crazy. And so we, you don't have to share specifics if you don't want to, but maybe some percentages. Can you give us some before and afters, maybe patient flow or collections or month-to-month increase or anything like that? Because uh, your numbers are, are amazing.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So our collections, the year before I bought the practice, they collected 570. This last year, we collected over 1.5. Our uh, new patients, before they were getting about 10 a month, and now we're getting about an average of 50 a month. Before the practice, uh, the dentist was working four days a week. I'm working three days a week. Our hygiene percentage—I was actually looking at up in preparation for this call—but our hygiene percentage has actually stayed about the same. It's, it's been—it was at 28% before, and it's about that now. Um, so our hygiene has grown but in proportion to how we've grown overall. So also really a lot
0: of your growth has come from that doctor production and being more efficient and seeing more patients and fitting them more in, and like we talked about earlier.
1: Yeah. The only other thing I had looked at was overhead before was at 55%. Uh, this last year we were at 46%. So.
0: Great. Um, more money. I was
1: excited to see that. Too. More
0: cash flow. Always always a good thing. And you mentioned that you saw a big jump in growth, and you might not know exact, but just in those first few months of making those changes where you, you weren't making a ton of investment in technology, you were just changing the way things were scheduled and the way things were being presented and having those hard conversations with patients about you know maybe undiagnosed dentistry how much did you grow kind of within that first you know 6 to 8 months even before what was that growth like because i think that's also important for people to see that they don't have to make big investments and that you know it can be a 1 to 2 year process obviously to get to where you are but what what did that first little bump look like just from making some changes to communication and production there
1: yeah so they had averaged about 47,000 a month previously I think my first month we did um, we did around 80 and then the next few months continued to grow a little bit high 80s and then 90s and then I think after about four or five months we consistently produced over 100,000
0: and I think that obviously your approach here has been incredible a lot of times we do we see bumps right with undiagnosed dentistry and then it kind of tapers off but I think the fact that you and Justin now have taken a different approach and kind of have continued that growth where you may have tapered off and kind of hit a plateau I think you you were able to kind of keep it on the upward trend and reduce your profitability and so I think that's pretty amazing like I said so So tell me, even though it was overwhelming and stressful in the beginning, you've made it through two years of ownership at this point, what would you say is the biggest piece of advice you would give someone kind of thinking about ownership or as they kind of enter the transition process or enter their first year of ownership, what would be the biggest piece of advice you'd give them?
1: Yeah, there's a few things. One, I already said before, I think that if you're planning to get help as far as consultant or coaching, that first year in ownership is really I think the best bang for your buck of any other time of your career that you could do it so my recommendation there is to to research and look at different consultants and find that one that has actually done what you would like to do in your practice and then talk with them and you know kind of get an idea for how they approach certain situations and then hire the one that you feel best meets your needs the other things I would say is understand that it's going to be difficult it's going to be time consuming but that if you put in the time to you know, make the best changes in the beginning. It's it's going to pay off. Remember to be just to be a pleasant person. Be patient and kind with staff and and with patients. Also, go into it having a plan, but be willing to adapt. It's okay to have a plan and to be dominant, but it's also important to be humble and to be a good listener.
0: That is awesome advice. That's why we were so lucky to help you in the beginning, and so happy to hear about your continued success. Uh, I really appreciate your time today.
1: Let me say one more thing. Absolutely. Um, so I have started to work with some clients that have wanted some help in looking at different practices and, and getting a little bit of guidance. I still recommend that they use CPAs and, and uh, attorneys, but I've as I've started to do this, I've had a little experience with other CPAs, and anyone that's listening and thinking about buying a practice, hire hire Charles and Chris <laughs> and their team um, because they just they just know the ins and outs better than anyone else there's there's just no reason to hire another cpa that does more general work because charles and christy and their team this is all they do and they know the ins and outs they have been through so much experience and and the cost is not significantly more it just makes so much much sense and i i appreciate you guys in my transition hope that everyone hearing can pay attention to
0: that you are super sweet thank you so much totally unexpected but we appreciate that and would you mind if we shared some information on our blog about the lifestyle practice so if someone's interested in reaching out to you and just kind of learning more about your story and kind of what you and Justin do can we share a little bit uh, on the blog for people who are listening today
1: yeah of course okay. if anybody wants to reach out my email is Derek D-E-R-E-K at thelifestylepractice.com. So awesome. I'm pretty good at responding to emails, so.
0: You are very responsive, so we, I appreciate it. Thank you again for your time. I look forward to seeing your future success and hope you have a great day.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Christy. Have a good one. Thanks.